we didn't really have this whole financial freedom thing. That's a new term. Uh-huh. We just wanted a better financial future. That's all we were thinking about, right? Because we didn't trust the stock market, right? The stock market crushed us, took six figures away from us. And, ouch. Um, ouch, yeah. So we just believed after all of the research that real estate was going to be a better way. But I got to tell you, I was convinced Olivia, who is my better half, was going to tell us, what the heck are you doing? I told you Fresno was risky. We don't know anybody, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I could just hear the fight in my ear. And we get there, we look at it. It's horrible. The wine bottles, I can still still picture it in my mind. And uh, we get back in the car and I say, what do you want to do? I imagine her saying, sell that thing. Take a loss. Right. She's like, keep going. Right. We knew this was a possibility. I'm like, honey, did you see this? You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, We Love Equity Real Estate family. I am excited for our guest today. We are talking to Michael Zuber. Michael Zuber is a buy and hold investor from the Bay Area, but he invests in Fresno, California. So just to give you a little bit of background about Michael, he started investing as a full-time employee, started with single family houses. And this guy is a professional at pivoting. In 2006, he called the market and pivoted from single family residential properties to multifamily. And then just last year in 2019, he pivoted from multifamilies back to single family. So he didn't do his whole portfolio, but he saw something that was up on the horizon, which we are going to dig into on today. So real quick, Michael, how are you today? Uh, Marcus, uh, life is good. No, no complaints. Ha- having a good time. Oh, sweet, 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 sweet. So tell me, Mike, um, how did you, we're going to jump right in. How did you mm-hmm. get started in real estate? So I got started in real estate um, first off at 30, uh, kind of setting my, set myself up at 30 years old. I was a full-time employee, Silicon Valley tech worker, married, kid. And, you know, at the time, this was like 2002-ish, I thought I was going to be the next Warren Buffett and trade stocks for my financial freedom. Uh, that worked really well for about 18 months. And then suddenly it didn't work at all. Uh, and, you know, went from making six figures a year day trading, if you remember what that was uh, like, yeah. uh, to losing it all uh, and then some. So uh, licked my wounds, was felt defeated, felt like a failure, went to a bookstore. Yes, at the time they had bookstores still. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was searching for something and I came across the book that you actually have over your left shoulder there, Rich Dad and Poor Dad. All right. Yep. And yeah, and it caught my attention. And you know, their story about those simple condos. And I think it was Oregon and in Honolulu. It's like, yeah, I could do that. Um, uh-huh. Tell me more, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad does a pretty good job of changing your mindset and, and introducing concepts, but it doesn't tell you how to do anything. Right. So I spent the next year or so reading every book I could find, literally had bookshelves full of stuff and realized that 
I was going to take a shot at being a landlord, which is really unusual, right? Nobody in my family ever had any money. Nobody ever owned a rental property. It was really foreign to us. Uh, we tried doing it in the Bay Area, which didn't make sense in 02 and definitely doesn't make sense in 2020. So we had to find another market. As you said in the introduction, we found Fresno, California, which is two and a half hours away from me. And then we bought that first house on Norris Drive for 100, 107 grand that rented for 1100 uh, back in uh, December of 2002. And, and that was kind of our journey. And I really had no grand plans. I wish I could tell you I had a grand plan. I was just, I was focused on getting the first one. And once I got the first one, I was like, what do we do to get the second one? And, and you know, that's what we were doing up until 2006. We had seven properties, which meant we had six houses and one duplex uh, acquired. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we basically okay. putting 10% down on stuff. Then we did some cash out refis. And, you know, we, did, we built those first um, seven, uh, seven properties on $40,000, which is all we ever had uh, when we started this. So that's what okay. we did from kind of 2002 to 2006 is we just kept focusing on the next one. And, and you know, then the journey gets fun. So um, starting with that $40,000, and I know mm -hmm. some people may say, well, that's a lot of money to get started with. But in, in real estate, I mean, honestly, it's not. I mean, because mm -hmm. that can be one down payment, two down payments, you know, if you're going a conventional route like you were doing, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, and then you hit that wall, you were at seven, seven units, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, what do we do from here? But before we get there, why did you pick Fresno? over any other um, city in California? Yeah, so we really quickly had to understand if we were comfortable getting on a plane. Um, so my day job at the time was traveling around the world, managing sales teams. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to do was get on another plane to go see my properties, which basically excluded out-of-state investing for us back gotcha. in 2002. It was a pure choice, pure quality of life. I was comfortable driving. Um, but I wasn't comfortable flying any more than I already had to. I hate it. I hate flying. Uh, okay. So we basically pulled out a California map after wasting a year of our life looking in the Bay Area. And we started drawing circles. And Fresno was the first market of size. It was about half a million people at the time, uh, which was a requirement for us. Mm -hmm. And it met the very simplistic 1% rule, uh, which was something the books talked about. Yep. yep. Um, so that's what we did. That was it. And again, people need to realize I knew no one. Didn't know any real estate brokers. I drove through Fresno once on a tri family trip to Yosemite. Okay. Never spent the night there. Haven't spent the night there in 20 years. Um, but it made sense, right? Live where you want, but invest where the numbers make sense. And then we never left because I get that question a lot. Okay, uh, you start there, I get it, but why'd you never leave? Kind of the same reason. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose I'm a control freak. I want to be able to go see my properties and I hate flying. Uh, okay. I do believe you need to go see your properties. And these people that tell me they're investing out of state um, and they never see their stuff scares me. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's frightening. I think that's, um, that's a recipe for negative surprises. Um, and, and, and I agree with you on that because I do invest out of state. I invest in the Chicago market, mm -hmm. but that's where I'm from. So I know the landscape very well, but yeah, just like you ground. said, yeah. you know, I have boots on the ground and then I still periodically say, you know what? let me get on a plane. Let me fly over there and see exactly what's going on because things in neighborhoods can shift pretty quickly. I mean, look at what's going on yeah. in the world today. You know, if, if you're not having eyes on your mm. property, you never know, you know, what could, what could happen with that property. So you started with this $40,000. 
Um, you found that property. How did you find that Norris, Norris property? So again, we, uh, I, wish I, I wish I had a great answer. It was basically uh, what today would be called realtor.com. Okay. Uh, we basically found a zip code that we liked and I looked at that zip code every day for months and finally found a property listed it. You can actually look it up. It's 1818 Norris Drive East 93703. We bought it for 107. It rented for 1100. And um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, back in 2002, there wasn't this thing of wholesaling or off market or anything of that mm -hmm. nature. I'm not a re realtor, so I have no special access. I didn't even know anybody in Fresno. Okay. It's just, I felt good about, hey, I could get 1100. That's what I, that my homework tells me. And, um, you know, we found a realtor because you, again, I'm not a realtor. So I had to find somebody to write it up. We drove around, we looked at a bunch of houses and this was the only one available. 2002, December, I think it was like December 11th or 12th. It was, it, the market was picking up and uh, it was the only thing available. So we wrote a full price offer. And again, uh, I didn't know any different. I wrote a full right. price offer. I didn't know any different. I put 20% down. I didn't know. I mean, we just <laughs> we jumped in. Right. And, and the exactly. thing, and the reason why I'm digging into this is because a lot of people have, you know, these roadblocks that they set in their minds and saying, well, I don't know anybody in Fresno. I don't know Fresno. I don't have a realtor there. You know, I don't know if I have enough money, but you said, you know what, despite all of that, this is the area I want to invest in. I'm not sure if it's the right area, but I'm going to jump in and I'm going to give it a try. And 20 years later, or 18 years later, you're still making money there in Fresno. Yes, sir. You know, Absolutely. so that's, that's a testament to, you know, your tenacity and your mindset to just go out there and get it done. Mm. So you did that Norris property. Um, did you use a property manager starting out? Yeah, day one. Uh, again, my job took me all over the world. I could very easily be in three different countries in a week. Uh, so I've had a property manager since day one, paid the full 10%. Uh, in the beginning, we don't pay anywhere near that now, but we did. Uh, and we just had to keep it in the calculation, right? We had to, we had to bring that into our formula to make sure that we could afford a property manager because we had no time, right? We mm -hmm. were both very busy professionals. My, uh, we were raising a daughter. And again, we chose a market two and a half hours away. The last thing we could do is field tenant calls and all right. of that. Exactly, exactly. So how did you find this property manager. Again, you don't know Fresno. You don't know anyone in Fresno. Yeah. Don't know Made Lots of mistakes. We fired the first five. Um, okay. We fired the first five, right? So we found one, didn't work out, found one, didn't work out. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, one thing I'm comfortable with is managing people in relationships. So right from the very beginning, we were managing that as a, as a key relationship. And as a, as somebody invests that far away, the property managers, the most important, more important yeah. than an agent, more important than a bank. It's, it's the most important thing. And I would just set expectations and manage to expectations. Everybody got a chance to make one mistake, uh, but never two. Yeah. Um, so we fired, we fired the first five and it's painful. Even if we only had one or two properties, it was painful to fire a property manager because they weren't happy. They were upset and then mm -hmm. you had to get a new one. And, um, but yeah, we would manage those relationships and, um, people are people, right? Somebody would do great job for nine or 10 months and then suddenly they wouldn't. Again, this is part of having it close by because it was amazing what would happen. We would tell them we're coming, right? Because we always had to go on the weekend, right? Right. So we'd tell them we're coming Saturday the 2nd. Everything would be beautiful. Then uh -huh. we'd surprise them on Saturday the 9th and not tell them. And it would be like, what the freaking heck just happened? Yeah, um, yeah. So we started doing lots of drive-by inspections and not telling them we're coming. And we were most often disappointed 
and that okay. caused a lot of consternation. And that's, and that's a good thing to do because, you know, sometimes property managers can get pretty comfortable, mm-hmm. especially if they know that the owner is out of state or, you know, two and a half hours away in your case. For sure. You know, they'll, they'll say, okay, well, everything is going great. Rent is being paid. That's all that matters. And for an owner that really manages their properties, that's not all that matters. You know, the appearance is a big key in order to mm-hmm. keep your tenants happy. So great. So now did your, did your property managers find that initial tenant for you? And how did that go yeah. with that tenant screening? <laughs> so this is, I'm glad you asked. So our first tenant experience, uh, everything was done correctly. Even looking back now and, and, and going through the story that you're about to hear, I'm still convinced everything was done right. Credit checks, work experience, uh, references, income verification, credit scores, all was done correctly. Unfortunately, there was one thing missing on their application, which I've never seen on an application. And that is, are you going to get divorced in a couple of weeks? Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So this couple moves in, pays their first month rent, pays their full deposit, both working, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then uh, two weeks in, literally two weeks in, the wife takes off. Don't know really what happens other than we never hear from her again. She goes out of state and they're getting a divorce. Um, And the husband clearly did not like that. Uh, The husband goes on a, uh, to become what I call a professional drinker, drinks all day and never pays rent again. And, you know, I'm in California, right? This is my first experience. So I had to spend a thousand dollars to get a lawyer, uh, an attorney. I have to, you know, two months go by with no rent. Uh, we finally get into our property about day 75 or 80 after no rent. And we see wine bottles literally stuck in the drywall uh, where he's oh. making like a wine rack out of my drywall. So our first experience, right? We buy a house for 107. We spend eight to 10 grand fixing it up. We get first month rent deposit. They leave, uh, you know, basically 90 days later, we're spending another 15 grand fixing it up. And um, that was a horrible experience. I'm shocked we kept going. And that was, that was going to be one of my questions was with that horrible experience, initial experience coming out, out the gate, you know, why didn't you stop? Uh, because our why. Um, we knew that the only way to get any kind of financial freedom, um, really the only one, we didn't really have this whole financial freedom thing. That's a new term. Uh-huh. We just wanted a better financial future. That's all we were thinking about, right? Because we didn't trust the stock market, right? The stock market crushed us, took six figures away from us. And, ouch. Um, ouch, yeah. So we just believed after all of the research that real estate was going to be a better way. But I got to tell you, I was convinced Olivia, who is my better half, was going to tell us, what the heck are you doing? I told you Fresno was risky. We don't know anybody, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I could just hear the fight in yeah, my ear. Yeah. And we get there, we look at it. It's horrible. The wine bottles, I can still, I can still picture it in my mind. And uh, we get back in the car and I say, what do you want to do? I imagine her saying, sell that thing, take a loss. Right. She's like, keep going. Right. We knew this was a possibility. I'm like, honey, did you see that? No, this, this is what we're going to do. So um, my wife has been on board since day one. I give her full credit. She gets credit every time I tell this story. Uh, and the good news about that house is it goes on to be one of our best investments. Uh, the rent, the next tenant moved in, never missed a payment. Uh, we ended up selling that place at the peak of the market in 06 for 265 grand. So wow. it went up $150,000 in four years. Wow. Uh, and then we moved that equity into an apartment building that we still own today. Okay. So while that first tenant was horrible, and I wish that on no one, 
the story of being a buy and hold landlord is pretty cool. We made 150 grand on the house. Uh, we moved the equity tax-free thanks to the lovely 1031 exchange. Uh-huh. Uh, we have huge cash flow in the apartments that we own today because of that. And, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great story when you tell the full story, but boy, that first chapter was rough. So, so Mike, you, 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 you really went over a lot of information there. For one, you had a supportive partner. Your, your wife was supportive. You know, if you, not everyone have that. And guys, if you're out there and you want to get into real estate, you know, talk it over with your partner. Try and get, get some feedback and make sure that you and her, you know, or, or you and him are on the same page and making sure you guys are doing this jointly and together. Because like you said, she could have just said, you know what, okay, I, Mike, I let you try this, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you tried she it, you failed, and now let's let's we call out. it quits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you also said that um, you didn't give up. You kept going. You found the next tenant, and that was one of the things that I found challenging when I bought a t- duplex. Was it was already rented, it was leased up, and one of the tenants was just hell, and it was just mm. trying to get this tenant, you know, to act right. And then it was just like, you know what? I can't do it. Let's just move on, you know, to the next person. And because of that success and that first failure, you know, you were able to have success on the back end. So Mm. tell me about the mindset shift going from single family to multifamily, because again, this is your first house. Mm. Um, And I know you've done other homes in between that, but how did you shift? from single family to multifamily? That's a very good question. So the answer is I kept, I kept engaging myself. I kept learning. So I went to a real estate meetup, right? It wasn't called that in 06, but that's what they're called today. And I heard a presenter speak about small multifamilies. I had never looked at it, right? We owned a duplex, but it was really two houses on one huge city lot. So it's not even like a connected duplexes. So I say I owned eight houses, which is what we had. And that's all I ever looked at because mm-hmm. that's all I ever lived in, right? I, didn't know any different. I thought every house was a three bedroom, two bad, two car garage house. I mean, what do I know? Right. Yeah. So, um, this individual gets up there, starts talking about small multifamilies and, um, quickly understand that single family homes are getting really expensive. Right. So just think about it. Right. I already said the numbers, but we bought Norris drive for one Oh seven in 2006, you know, before we sold it, we thought it was worth between two seventy and two eighty. Uh, we do end up selling it for like two sixty four or something. But here's the rub. It rented for 1100. So it cash flows at 107. There's no way in hell it cash flows at 260, yeah, right? Exactly. So we're we're like how do we buy the ninth house? And and in 2006 we're like we can't because unless we're going to put 50% down, nothing cash makes, flows. Right, it makes no sense. Right? People around us are going nuts and they're buying for appreciation and all this other nonsense with bad loans. And my stupid accounting brain wouldn't let me do a bad deal, right? I don't want mm-hmm. negative cash flow. I don't want to bet on appreciation. That's, that is too much like my stock market pain that I had in 02, yeah. right? Bet on appreciation, trade options, always bet on the upside, and then bam. So, Get hit. I, so I, I have that scar. I'm like pointing. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm yep, not betting yep. on appreciation. And then this guy talks about small multifamilies, and I go, shoot. I never even, I, I thought only billionaires owned apartments. What the hell? So we look at a, a five unit apartment building. We still own today. It's on Vassar. 
it's five one bedroom, one bath units, all connected in a row, peak roof, separate garages, all that. Okay. So we end up getting in contract on these five units for 223 grand. Wow. Uh, at the time they rented for 600 each. So it's like $3,000 a month. Plus they had some laundry income, which we'll ignore for now, but you know, mm -hmm. 3000 bucks. But think about that. We, we sold a house for 264 that rented for 1100. We bought a five unit building uh, for 223 that rented for three grand. The right? No brainer. Some is good. More is better. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we, we very quickly did 1031 exchanges out of all of our houses and we went so, from 80 units to 80. So Mike, before you, before we gloss over that, for those mm. who don't know, you know, explain what a 1031 exchange is for us. Yeah. So a 1031 exchange as someone who's been through them is basically where you can do what's called a like kind exchange where you take a rental property, which is in this case, a house and you trade the equity without paying the IRS, no capital gains, no depreciation recapture, all of that into the next investment, uh, which for us was the five unit building. So, gotcha. um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Read about it online. I'm not an yep. expert, but, but we could not touch the proceeds. Right. That's the key in an exchange is yep. we sold the house equity goes and sits it with an intermediary. We identify a property within the first 45 days. And then we have to close on that in the first six months. And, and that's what we did. We did that seven or eight times. Yep. So guys, basically what he said and 1031 exchanges, you sell it. He sold his, his rental, his single family house, put the money in an intermediary's hands where they can't touch the proceeds. And then they found another property, which is the five unit building, took the money from the sale of the single family and used that money to buy the five unit. And they didn't have to pay the IRS any taxes on that proceeds from the single family. So very smart, very key. So your accounting brain is very smart. Mike, not dumb. So that worked into your favor. And, and not only that, you know, you went from one house, one tenant to now having five units, mm -hmm. five tenants, you know, mm -hmm. tripling basically the income off of that same amount of money. Yes, sir. Very, yes, sir. very smart. Very smart. So tell me about these one bedroom, one baths, because I'm a firm believer and I think it's just something with me. I'm scared of one bedroom, one bath because mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, you get up, you can get transient people. Mm -hmm. What I mean by transient people is they stay for a little bit and then they move mm -hmm. on because it's one bedroom bath. And it's not because of just their ideology, but families grow. You know, I grew yeah. up and when I was a single, a bachelor, I was in a one bedroom, one bath, For sure. found my wife. And then it was immediately, this place is too small. You know? so, <laughs> Got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. What sold you on these? Yeah. These so absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. Right. So again, we've owned these now. I want to do the math 14 years. So the first four or five years, I would say that's very true. Very transient. Uh, I would say the average average was like 18 months. I'm going from memory. So it'll be close mm -hmm. to that. But something we did uh, as we found the property manager that we ultimately settled on is we started looking for retirees, right? We started okay. looking for folks that were retired. Um, so, you know, you, you know, that was, that became our niche. We started looking for those kind of folks. We, and, and, you know, sometimes that means you got to put in wheelchair ramps and these other yep. things, but those are the things we look for. Uh, we dressed up the outside. So they have seating areas and the like. So 
those are the things that we've done as we started looking for retirees where we can, where it makes sense. Um, and that whole community now are, I would say the average age of those five tenants is probably 70, 71. Okay. Um, you know, so they've been there quite a while. I think the average tenure now is like four and a half years. Um, we, yeah, we know ultimately that, you know, life happens. Mm -hmm. So we'll just move people in and out. Um, but yeah, there, you, there are, there are a segment of the tenant population that don't move, that aren't transient. And what we found was retirees, um, absolutely are a good niche. You're, you're spot on. That was very, very smart. I don't know if you guys did that strategically, but that was smart because once you get the retire pop retiree population, they're not looking to move every year because they're looking no. at can't yeah. can't hire movers, you know, can't do hauling trucks and everything like that. Once they get there, they're settled and they they'll they'll stay there for you know 10, 12, 15, 20 years. So that's yeah. you know, as long as life, you know, is extended to them, they'll stay there. Okay. I yeah, that's us. Very good. So now you said that you guys have um, over 80 units. So tell me, yeah. how did you guys expand so quickly? Yes. Yeah, so we spent, um, you know, in 2006, we did all these 1031 exchanges. Oh, sorry. Let me try to shut this nope, off. Go ahead. Yeah. So 2006, we hot <laughs> hotline, I guess. Yeah. Let's just close that. Now they can't call me. Uh, so again, 2006, we do a bunch of 1031 exchanges. Uh, we did that for about a year. Uh, so we, we went, you know, we got, we got a five and then a 10 and a 13 and another 10 and we went to 80 units. So that's what we did. So no new, no new capital, right? No new cash. Okay. Uh, right at the peak of the market, we, we went into multifamily. Uh, that's all now commercial financing versus residential, which was a whole nother ball of wax for us. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a good time. And of course the market collapses from there, right? Yep. 07, 08, 09, 2010. Um, the market just falls off a cliff. And what we do is um, we first take a pause because we don't really know what's going on. It's our mm -hmm. first recession, right? Our first investing recession. And then what we do is um, we start getting aggressive. We start to, we want to go back and buy houses. Cause again, that house we sold at 264, it retrades at 75 grand. Wow. Right? The person who bought it lost it and it goes foreclosure and then trades at 75 grand. So that's how much, housing, single family homes collapsed in Fresno, yeah. California, right? It lost 70% of value. So we start buying again, right? We buy on the way down, right? We buy another house at like, I don't know, 140 and then 130 and 110 and, and all of that. But we get the first couple of done with banks. Again, banks were still lending very mm -hmm. early on in the collapse, but then they stopped, right? I remember trying to go get a deal done when we had an 800 credit, credit score seven figure net worth, six figure income. And the bank told us no, right? Wow. They said, you're, you're part of the problem. We, you, you, real estate investors are bad. Uh -huh. And um, that was an eye-opening experience. So we didn't know what to do, right? We're still new to this. Uh, we, we go to, again, a meetup. Somebody talks about hard money. We, so we get some hard money, uh, which was very expensive, like 12%. 60% LTV of purchase price, not value, mm -hmm. but allows us to keep buying. So we so, do that. So Mike, real quick. So tell me what um, hard money is for those who, that, those who don't know. Basically hard money is where you go to someone who has their own pool of capital and they're willing to put it at, it's, it's basically some, a person or a company 
but usually it's a person that wants to invest capital in real estate like a bank, but they charge really, really high rates, hence hard. Like for example, a bank at the time might've charged five and a half or 6% on 30 year money. Uh, the hard money lender was charging 12%, okay. right? They Got wanted it. 60% of purchase price. They had three points where a bank might charge one point up one. front. They want three, right? It's just really, really expensive money. But anytime you can buy an asset that's on sale um, with some kind of leverage, even if it's just 60%, it means you can buy more. Yep. And we wanted to be aggressive. So we did that a few times and then we ultimately found private money. Uh, we kept okay. telling people what we were doing uh, and we did 30 or 40 transactions in 2010 with private money. Uh, just friends and family were getting nothing in the money markets and in bank accounts and we paid them 10%. We paid them 10% interest. Uh, so we just kept, we kept buying and buying when everybody was, the best year to buy for us was 2010. Nope. Everybody was scared of real estate. Yep, it was, yep. it was ugly. And we were buying houses for, you know, we bought stuff, we bought stuff under 40 grand. Uh, that was, that was a full on house. So. So you went from uh, you and your wife's own money to yep. trying hard money. And then yep. you settled with private money and private money yep. is the best money because it's not your money and it's not the expensive rate of hard money. So mm -hmm. by doing that, you just basically was sharing what you and your wife were doing. And then people said, Hey, you know what? Instead of me having my money sitting in this IRA or 401k or in a savings account, mm -hmm. let me give it to Mike and his wife and you guys made money for him. Sounds Absolutely. great. Yeah, we paid him 10%. We paid him double digits. And, and once, and again, the key to get raising private money, and I didn't know this at the time, we were just documenting what we were doing. Um, one of the things I've always liked to do is, is I hate to fly, like I said earlier, but something I had to be busy on an airplane. So I would just write up all our deals. Just, hey, mm -hmm. we did this, we found this, blah, blah, blah. That became a blog for us. And that blog you know, helped us raise millions of dollars in private money just because people would see over time that we kept at it. Uh, we never asked for, for private money. People came to us mm -hmm. uh, after doing that blog for like six months. Uh, and today we're doing private money again and it's, and it's all off YouTube. Um, so it's, it's, you know, just document what you're doing, telling people what you're doing can, can help. And I agree. I tell people, you know, you have to share your successes and your failures. Oh. And like you said, it's just documenting. You're just really making a journal or a log of, you know, what you've, what you've done that way people can follow, you know, your track record. And then eventually people are going to say, wow, look at what Mike is doing. You know what, how can I be a part, you know, how can I help or how can I make money like Mike? And then the pitch is easy for you. It's, mm -hmm. Hey, you see what I've been doing? You know, this is what I can do. We're just going to continue to do what we've already been doing, but with private money. Well said Marcus. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, you guys use the private money to scale. How are you finding these, these properties? Because sometimes it's hard to find, uh, good deals. Yeah. I, uh, this is gonna, this is gonna drive your audience crazy, but we were finding diamonds, bricks of gold, right in the MLS, realtor.com. Wow. We, we, I never bought anything other than out of the MLS. Okay. Never direct mail, never driving for dollars. None of that stuff. We bought one house on auction.com right at the peak of the crisis. Uh, and then one bank came to us directly because we were remodeling the building next door. But other than that, everything we bought, anybody in the world could have got because it was just in the MLS. In 2010, it was not hard. Any price accepted, um, you know, 
and they were dropping yeah. prices every Friday, right? They would drop prices every Friday. Yeah, and, to try and make it hot for the weekend to try and get yeah. people to come out and look. You know, absolutely. And that's what I tell people. You have to be prepared and position yourself for the next go around. Will mm -hmm. it be as bad as it was in 2008? You know, who knows? But you want to be prepared coming up. So, Mike, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break real quick, hear a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back. Okay, PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers. With 100% coverage across the U.S., PropString provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to crowd.propstreampro.com slash we love it. Okay, Mike. We're back. So tell me, out of all of these deals that you've done, what was your most successful transaction? Uh, I guess most people like to talk about uh, buying an 18-unit building for nothing down. Most people like to talk about that. Wow. So, okay. so, so in 2010, right, right at the depth of the crisis, uh, we were introduced to a, um, an older gentleman who had sold a property so this was 2010. So he sold this property in 2005 or 2006 for $1.44 million. He got, I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's assume he got like 250K down and then he carried the paper, right? Okay. So he owner financed it for someone. Yep. Uh, and what quickly happened is obviously 2006 was right near the peak. So he had good time to sell it. But unfortunately, uh, the recession ensued. The person who who had borrowed that money, right? Private financing. He was the seller financing, um, started missing payments, started making excuses. The property kept getting worse and worse and worse. And this poor gentleman was, I don't know, probably 75 or 77 at the time. Wow. And, okay. and li lived out of the area, right? When he owned it, he lived there, he moved out, he sold his portfolio. And this was like the last big unit he owned. And ultimately he, he found us cause we were doing deals in the area. And he said, Hey, I got to foreclose on this. Um, okay. would you take it over? And I said, well, if, you know, if, if the numbers make if sense, the of numbers course, are right. yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> what do I say? Uh, so he says, well, what do you, what, what do you think it's going to take? And I said, well, you know what, let's go through the building together. So he drove up from LA, right? He was down in okay. Southern California. It might've been San Diego. I just remember him driving up and, um, we go through it together and it was probably the most disgusting things I've ever seen. I mean, one unit had dog feces everywhere. Oh, wow. Um, one of the units had a, clearly a leak from the, the, the ceiling. I mean, it, it, I mean it, it, again, I've seen some pretty rough stuff during the crash. It's the worst thing I'd ever seen. So we get out of that. We, 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 uh, we go to have lunch and he goes, I got a problem. I go, you got yeah. a big problem. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You got a problem. And he says, you know, I, you know, I live too far away. I can't take care of this. I don't want this problem. I've already started the foreclosure process. I'm going to, I'm going to own this again shortly. And I want you to buy it. What's it going to take? 
And I'm like, well, you know, without having my contractor go through this, there's probably $50,000 in immediate, like day one investments. Yep. More than half those tenants got to go. Got to go. Um, if not all of them. Mm -hmm. And we got a problem, right? So um, th that's what I see. And I said, I'm not comfortable talking about doing a deal right now. I have to think about this because right, right? right. we're literally like 60 minutes after like, sh how do I wash up from going through from that? Exactly. <laughs> I'm afraid about what's crawling on my clothes right now, right? So we go back, uh, I reach out to him the next day or so and I say, okay, I have the capital to do the investments that you and I both know this needs. Um, the market's crazy right now. We're near the depth, right? He sold yeah. at the peak. Now we're really near the bottom. Um, so I let him know that I thought the building was worth 50% of what of he what sold he, it for last time, 700 grand. He agreed. So that, so price wasn't the problem. Gotcha. Um, what was, what, what he wanted was he wanted out and I wanted a long term, right? I wanted mm -hmm. 10 years. He wanted five. Cause again, he was okay. 77 or something at the time. And he's like, I don't want this any longer than I need it. And he wanted shorter. I'm like, dude, I can't, okay. I'm going to need, I'm going to need 18 months just to make this thing right. look right. Just right. It's going to take me six it. months yep. to get out. So I'm not doing anything less than five years. Um, so what we agreed to basically is five years. So I gave him that, uh, we didn't have any payments for the first 12 months. Um, so mm. no payments, right. I, I escrowed 50 grand. So he okay. would see that, that improvement, because that was his big thing, right? I'm going to sell it to you. You're going to milk it. You're not going to pay me for 12 months. How do no, I trust no. you? So I said, okay, no. let's escrow the money and you'll get a report monthly. Um, and I ended up sending them pictures just to okay. keep them in the loop, right? Uh, so we ultimately agreed on a payment that was about 20% of what rents would be once done. So it was very easy for me to carry once we did okay. that investment. Uh, and then after about three and a half or four years, we went to a bank and refied it uh, and it appraised for like one, three, five or something like that. We cashed him out. He was very happy. Uh, and, you know, we replaced all our, all our capital and then some. Um, so yeah, we got a building for, for nothing down just by communicating with the seller. And that's, I mean, you said so much in that piece, Mike. Um, one of the main things is because of your reputation in that area, he knew to come to you. You know, you didn't go out, like you said, you didn't have to do direct mailers. You didn't have to do any of that. He came directly to you. And then also you understood your numbers, what it was going to take in order to get this done. And you were, you was creative, you know, with him saying, Hey, I have the, the capital to make the major repairs. I'll put this in the escrow account so you can see it, you know, mm -hmm. that way, you know, everybody, everything is being communicated openly. So. You guys did that deal. Um, how much was the repairs total, if you can remember? We, we ended up spending about $110,000 because if we were going to do it, we were going to do it right. And we mm -hmm. wanted to do it so the investments wouldn't have to come back. So instead of patching the roof, we replaced it. Instead of patching the parking lot, we repaved it. Um, okay. So we ended up spending about hundred and ten grand, uh, And we still own the apartment building today. Um, it's 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 a, it, uh, rents are up from where we bought it, obviously, and it cash flows really well. We have cheap, you know, we have financing now at, I think it's like four and an eighth or something. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a core element of our portfolio that we, we likely won't ever sell. So let me ask you the, the money for the repairs. Was that from your, uh, private, private money lenders? 
No, or that was, was it something you guys had set aside already. That was capital we had set aside from uh, cash out refinances. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you had that money on hand in order mm -hmm. to do the repairs. Okay, so then you go and you refinance this thing and it's worth 1.3. I know you were happy. You were excited. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys do? Um, did you cash out on that refi or did you take some out and continue to build a portfolio? What did you do with that extra money? Yeah, we have never, so our, our journey of 15 years was one of sacrifice living below our means. So yes, we did take some cash out. We brought the LTV up to about 60 or 65%, which meant we had a six figure cash out. Uh, and we just bought more stuff. We bought, okay. I don't remember exactly, we bought three or four other properties with that that we still own today. Um, but yeah, when you are on that path of building momentum, the last thing you should do is, oh, let's take this 10 or 20 grand and go get a new car, or go take a crazy vacation. Because we still yeah. had, we're, we're, we're at year, I don't know, seven or eight in our journey, um, which took 15 years. Um, mm -hmm. So we just kept moving forward. We, we, we sack, I mean, that's, people call us lucky and all this stuff. No, man, we sacrificed for 15 years. We, we, we understood our needs and wants. We lived so far below our means. Uh, it, it, it's funny to think about now. I remember crying on the way home after going to another stupid housewarming party with uh -huh. one of our friends, you know, buying a million dollar <laughs> house and we're freaking in a condo. And yep. um, I remember, I mean, literally pulling over and having to just let it go. Cause I was, I didn't know if we were doing the right things, right? 10 years into this journey. We're like, what are we doing? Yeah. Right? Are we doing it? Are we wrong? Did we make a mistake? Yep. And, and that's, and that's one of the things um, that we all have to go through you know, getting started because you look at everyone else at times and it seems like they're on an accelerated track. You know, <laughs> everything is going fast for them. You know, they have a good job. They're getting, you know, everything that they want in life. And you're like, okay, am I doing the right thing? But with persistence and tenacity, you know, look where you are now compared to where you were just 10 years ago. You know, that's a big yeah. step going from eight. Well, let's just say 15 years ago. Let's that's a big step going from zero units to, you know, how many do you have now? 175? That's, that's a lot. Yeah, we're right around that number. Yeah. That's a lot, you know. So who, who can tell you that they're buying 17 units, you know, on average a year? Mm. Not many people yeah. can say that, you know. That's so, true. Mike, you're, you're doing a great job, man. So give yourself, <laughs> you know, a little credit, you know. It's okay to pat yourself on the <laughs> back every now and then. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> so tell me, you got the hub, man. Tell me a little bit about the hub. Yeah. So the hub is an office building in Fresno, which is, which is where my heart is. It's where our, our net worth is. It's where all our rentals are. And it's something I created after we retired, uh, right after we left our W2 job. And I really wanted to create it because I want to give back. Mm -hmm. Right. So think about, you know, now we into this, we're into this nearly 20 years. We wrote a book. We have a growing YouTube channel. I get asked all the time for help, advice, coffee, lunch, mm -hmm. dinner, yada, 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 right? So I knew I wanted to do something and I knew I wanted to plant roots in Fresno. So I found an old dentist office right on a great street called, it's on Van Ness, right by the city college. And I said, this is going to be my anchor. So it has seven small offices in it. And I wanted to staff that with people that are go-givers that give back. Okay. And because I wanted to have confidence that I could take my growing network of recommendations and say, go visit the hub. You know, if I'm there, great. If I'm not, 
You have other people, yeah. other talented people that call it home. So it's full of wholesalers. There's three different wholesalers, licensed agents, licensed general contractors. Um, there's an Airbnb uh, resource. I'm trying to get a lender in there. Um, okay. it's, it's just a place that I can feel good about that. Yes, it is attracting deals for me. I probably get one deal a month because I have it and it's something we talk about. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, it is serving the community. Um, we have given back to the community. It's, it's a place where we donate, do donations, right? We gave back to the food bank uh, a couple of different times. Um, we were hosting seminars there and events just, just to give back. And um, it's something I feel really good about. And it's, it's just starting. I think the hub is bigger next year than it is today and bigger the year after that and the year after that because it's a unique concept. Nobody at the hub works for me. I will okay. never have an employee okay. ever. These are all individual companies. They all do their own thing. I certainly qualify them. And if they don't meet my expectations, they get removed, right? Because I am the mm -hmm. freaking owner. Um, but that is what's important to me. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we're doing there. So uh, that's what the hub is for me. Okay. So um, while we got our listeners on the, on the call here and, and on YouTube, Facebook and everything like that, what do you need at the hub? What are you, I know you said you mentioned you're looking for a lender. Share with us what else you need. Maybe some people you can attract what you need right here. Oh, that would be awesome. I think the number one thing that would be awesome to add to the hub is a private money or hard money lender. Uh, because again, we're bringing lots of flippers and wholesalers and investors to the community. And it would be great to point at a lender and say, hey, you, and the lender needs to be able to do fixer uppers. It needs to be able to do these other pieces, not just owner occupant stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we could attract a lot of business. There's a lot of deals being done through the hub. So that would be really cool. I'd love to see another real estate agent, licensed agent there. Uh, that mm -hmm. would be really cool. Uh, because again, we're getting a lot of people that want to buy from out of the area. I don't go to Fresno. I go to Fresno a couple of times a month, but I could send people there from all over to come check out and buy there. Uh, so those are the first couple of things. If I had an insurance agent, that'd be cool. Okay. Um, you know, so there's, there's lots of things that would make the, the hub uh, uh, increase in value, I think. Okay. So guys, if you're in the Fresno area and you're a hard money lender, if you're a real estate agent or if you're a real estate insurance agent, reach out to Mike, you know, so you could be a part of the hub. I was watching his YouTube channel, see what he was doing. And it looks like it's, you know, amazing, something that he's doing, you know, for the community. And it's definitely a resource for you if you're an agent, a lender, you know, a real estate um, insurance agent. So Mike, we're going to roll into our hot seat questions. But before we do that, um, tell me about briefly, because we're going to talk about it at the end, your book, One Rental at a Time. Yeah, the book One Rental at a Time was written right after I left uh, the workforce. And it was written because I wanted a compliment to Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. As we said very, very early on, Rich Dad Poor Dad doesn't tell you how. It doesn't tell you a journey. So I wrote this from the aspect of, okay, Rich Dad Poor Dad started my journey. But what did the 15 years look like? So we wrote about all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, um, how we went from a single house that the, like the Norris Drive story is in there where the tenant was a problem. We talk about 1031 exchanges. We talk about the crash. We talk about apartments. Uh, so it's our journey. And it's written. It's not meant to be a how-to book. Don't buy it as a how-to book. It's, hey, this couple, Red Rich Dad, Poor Dad, took a shot. And here is their path, their journey to financial freedom. That, that's all it is. Great, great. So I'll make sure 
I link one rental at a time, the book and the show notes. So let's roll into our hot seat questions. We are going to put Mike on the hot seat real quick. So Mike, I want you to answer these questions as quick as possible. Starting over, what would you do different? Uh, starting over, I would, uh, I would look at Fresno earlier. I wasted a year looking at the Silicon Valley because all the books said invest where you live. And I live in a ridiculously expensive part of the country and that year was wasted. Okay. And then what is your greatest commodity outside of capital? Commodity? I would say my network. I think your network okay. is your net worth. I think it's more about the people that know you than instead of you know. It's really the people that know you. That's where many of my deals come today. Sweet, sweet. So what drives Michael Zuber's ambition? My ambition now uh, is not fancy, right? My, I, I, live, I still live below our means. My goal now is to help people uh, see that real estate investing, specifically buy and hold real estate investing, could be a path to a better future. Okay. And what do you believe is your greatest challenge via internal or external challenge? Uh, I believe social media celebrates the quick wins. They celebrate the big checks and that stuff for the most part is fake or doctored. Uh, I want to mm -hmm. create long-term wealth and it's hard to compete with a slow path when everybody's flashing checks and flexing on social media, yep. which I don't do. Absolutely. It's, it's you go on Instagram and that's all you see is people flashing fancy cars, money and everything like that. But the truly successful take the long approach, you know, um, to wealth. So what do you believe is one characteristic an investor needs to have in order to be successful? Discipline. When I think back to the, what made us successful in Fresno after all these years, it's the fact that I still look at my market every day. I'm not an agent. I have no special access. It's just the fact that I look at my market every day for 10 to 15 minutes means that I can identify a deal faster than most people. Great. That's, great. that's my unique trait. Great. Great. So Mike, I want to thank you, man. You would definitely provide, provided some insight for me. I'm in the midst of that transition from single family units. I'm at eight and I'm looking to go into uh, multifamily right now. So it was definitely an inspiration for me. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, albeit selfishly, you know, but some people, um, are in a similar position and they, they need to hear from you as well, man. I want to appreciate what you're doing with the hub one rental at a time, which I'll link in the show notes. How can we get in touch with you, Mike? Where can we find you? I know you mentioned YouTube. Yeah, I would say the best place to find me is on my YouTube channel called one rental at a time. I provide original content every single day. And I, can, I, go. I can definitely vouch for that. I was on his uh, YouTube on yesterday and guys, you have to check it out. It's some really, really good information there for you. So give me the uh, URL to your uh, YouTube channel, Mike. It's just youtube.com slash one rental at a time. Okay. So that's youtube.com slash one rental at a time, guys. I'll make sure I have that in the show notes for you. That way you can reach out to Mike again you guys are in the Fresno area and you want to be a part of the hub, contact Mike. I'm pretty sure you can leave him a comment on his YouTube channel and he's very responsive. He'll get back to you. So Mike, any last parting words here? No, Marcus, I just want to thank you for what you're doing, giving back, being an inspiration to others. Um, that's really what it's about is ce celebrating what we're doing and try to help others. That's, 
that just, uh, it warms my heart to see folks like you just giving back and I appreciate you. Okay, thank you so much, Mike. So again, guys, wrapping up here, always remember to enjoy the journey. Go and check out one rental at a time. Go and check out the hub. If you're in Fresno and you're not connected with Mike, something is wrong with you. So get connected and we'll see you next week on another episode. All right, guys, that was Mike Zuber from Fresno, California. Well, he invests in Fresno. He's from the Bay Area. So very key information that was given in this episode. Uh, we talked about single family rentals. We talked about mindset shift going from single family to multifamily. We talked about finances. We talked about how to raise private capital. A lot of information in here, guys. Um, before I let you go, always remember that you can leave us a five-star review. It helps us you know, get ratings and it helps us give the content that you're looking for, you know, out there directly to you and your ears. So feel free to reach out to us, leave us a comment, leave us a rating or a review. You can always find me at MRCS Maloney everywhere on social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. So I welcome talking to you again. If you're looking for free purchase contracts, assignment agreements, um, a 15-minute free consultation with me, go to the website, marcusemaloney.com. That's M-A-R-C-U-S, E as in equity, Maloney, M-A-L-O-N-E-Y.com. Remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items, and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.